You're listening to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm your host, three-time Olympian and motivational speaker, Leah Amico. On this show, we're going to dig deep to unlock what it actually takes to build a foundation for greatness. If you're an ambitious person with big vision, but you feel like fear is holding you back, get ready for some major breakthroughs. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Amico. And today our guest is in the baseball field. He has actually played in 10 major league baseball seasons and parts of it for eight different teams. We're going to hear a little bit about that. He was on Team Israel for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, was drafted by the Boston Red Sox, my husband's favorite team in 2008, and he's currently catching for the Marlins AAA Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Welcome to the show, Ryan LaVarnway. Leah, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so excited to um, just share your story and kind of just key points that I believe all elite athletes deal with, but ultimately it can impact people and help all of us in the real world. Right. So first let's just start a little bit about, um, talking about major league baseball. What's been the best part of being a major league baseball athlete? Oh man, there's so much, when I made it to the major leagues, I still remember thinking like I had the highest expectations for what it was going to be like. And it was one of those few things in your life that you have such high expectations for, and it's still better. Right. Because most most things you like put it on a pedestal and you're like, oh, that wasn't as cool as I thought it was. But playing in the major leagues, especially playing for the Boston Red Sox as my first team with guys that I watched growing up, the guys that these guys were my idols. It's it's just the best thing you can imagine. Who were some of those athletes that you got to compete with that were your idols or people you looked up to or at least be around? Well, Jason Veritek was the guy right for catching in the major leagues. And then we had David Ortiz, who's larger than life and just an elite, elite performer, especially when it matters the most. And then Dustin Pedroia is this, this man who's maybe not so big physically in stature, but just his personality fills up a whole room all by itself. And I think um, when you say those names, it's like a household name for us because I actually married a Bostonian. And let me tell you, I'm from California and these Boston fans, like they are serious about their sports. And he ultimately is, you know, everything you would think when you hear about Boston fans. So my boys, even though they grew up in Southern California, have all been big Red Sox fans from the beginning. Um, I love that you say that it it exceeded your expectations because I think sometimes people reach a certain level of success and they actually think, wait, this wasn't, you know, what I was looking to, um, you know, were there other people that played a part of that? Was it your surrounding? Was it just this idea of like, you saw yourself on the stage and it just ended up being more fulfilling than you expected once you reached it? Well, I, I think especially with Boston, they do such a good job of taking care of all the little details. So from the time you get to the field, there's a private chef that's feeding you nutritious food that's going to get you prepared for the game, but that also tastes great. And then before the game, the just the pageantry and the ceremony that they turn a baseball game into just a spectacle of an event in Boston. And it, it's almost too much once you're, you're there every single day where there's a first pitch thrower who is you know, just cured cancer and saved 49 three-year-old babies' lives, like just the most amazing people. And then they get these amazing, incredible musicians to sing the first pitch and there's a flyover and there's a 700 foot American flag hanging from the green monster. And then you play the game and you're 
you're the one of the most famous teams in the world playing against the Yankees half the time, the most famous team in the world. And then you hop on the, the private chartered 747 to fly across the country. And it's just so, so many things stacked on top of each other that if you step back, you're like, I can't believe we just got a police escort to the airport. Like we're not the president. It's just again, again, and again, and again, so many things that are just so amazing and that we are so lucky to, to get to experience. I love that you give us a little insight because I think a lot of people, we watch you guys out on that stage, out on that field, on TV all the time. And just to be able to kind of see, yeah, like here's, here's what it feels like to experience that. Um, did you grow up thinking, okay, that's my goal, major league baseball. Like when, you know, when did that all become like that dream or desire? So I, I started playing baseball when I was five. The story is I, I probably would have played eventually, but I got started when I was five because my kindergarten teacher told my parents that I was bad at sharing. <laughs> and that I needed to get involved in team sports. So they brought me out probably a year or two before I would have started. My dad always played pickup softball, so I was always around it. Uh, but I always I took to it right away. I always loved it. We, we would go to Dodger games, and I'd watch the Dodgers because I'm from Southern California also. And I just always kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. But as I was going, I, I didn't keep the big picture in the front of my mind the whole time. I really was was focused on where I was. Like when I was in Little League, I, we want to win this tournament and I want to be one of the best players on my team. And then when I got to high school, I wanted to make it to the varsity. And then when I made varsity my junior year, we want to win the, the championship. And then I got to college and I was like, okay, now I want to win all ID. So I had all of my little goals, my little steps along the way with the big picture in the back of my mind, but not that I was thinking about it all the time. Yeah, I would say that's very similar to what I did. Now, obviously, we didn't have Major League Baseball, Major League Softball to look up to. But I same idea, like when I had heard about college and I was a high school athlete, like first, my goal was making the varsity team, like you said, and then trying to win, you know, CIF, we fell short my sophomore year, I had only one loss as a pitcher. And, uh, and so, you know, we but that was my goal, right? And then getting the college scholarship. And then when I got to college, and then they said softball was in the Olympics, that's when that goal started. But like you said, I'm not thinking about the Olympic team or making team USA while I'm on the field at Arizona, I'm training every single day to get better. So you ended up um, competing at Yale and you know, you, you led the NCAA. I think this is amazing. I want to hear a little bit about that season because it was in 2007, you had a 467 batting average and a slugging percentage of 873. Tell me about that season. Like what made that season so spectacular? Oh my God. So that, that was when baseball was super fun when you're, when you're playing that good. Right. Uh, so I remember I had an okay freshman season. I, I had hurt myself a little bit. I was playing outfield. I ended up having to DH. I, I, I had a stress fracture in my leg. And at the end of the season, my freshman year, they came out with the all Ivy league awards and our first baseman who had been my, my host for my official visit, a guy that I looked up to on the team, his name's Mark Sawyer. He won all Ivy league first baseman. And I remember talking to my hitting coach, um, his name's Glenn. And I was like, Glenn, I want to win all Ivy league next year. And he, and, and like, I thought I was like reaching for a new level, a new achievement that I hadn't even thought of before. And he took it to the next level, even more. So for me, he said, forget about all Ivy league. If you don't win all American by the time you graduate, then I haven't done my job with you because you have that kind of potential and you just don't realize it yet. And it like blew my mind completely. I didn't even really think about that. They give all American awards. I think we all know that that's a thing that happens, 
but you don't put yourself in that category, right? So I, I went to college summer ball and I was playing in Monroe, North Carolina. You got to say with the Monroe <laughs> and it's, it's like probably the 15th best league in the country. It's nothing special, but his idea of winning all American kind of planted in my head and just started to grow. And I literally remember every single time I was in the batting cage that summer, I could be by myself. I was like, how would an all American take batting practice right now? I would step into the box for those games. How would an All-American go about this? And I just tried to embody what I envisioned an All-American would do. So then when I got back to Yale the next year, after having a very average freshman season, I started taking off. And, and this basically most of a year of this seed in my brain started growing and started bearing the fruit. And then that next year, I started off hot. I ended up breaking the Ivy League hit streak record. And I, I got a hit in the first 23, 23 games we played in. And all of a sudden, my roommate at the time, Stefan, who was my, my college roommate, he starts looking up the Yale record book, something, again, that I had never considered. He's like, do you know that you're pretty close to like eight of these records? And I'm like, uh, no, I had no idea. But let's let's try to break all of them. And, and again, just these these friends of mine, these people that are in my life just start planting these seeds of like. You could do this even if you never thought about it before. And, and I ended up doing all of it. It was, it was amazing. And I, and I think that if they hadn't given me those ideas, if they hadn't planted that seed in my head, I wouldn't have done any of it. Wow. That is just so powerful. I got chills when you said your coach said that to you because there is something so powerful. I think belief has to start from within, but man, can it be fostered from those outside. And like you said, new thoughts, it's the same thing for me when, um, you know, I was the first born and my parents went to, my dad went to a junior college and that was it. Nobody went to a four year. So that wasn't just this idea. Softball at the time wasn't on TV a lot. And it was a, a friend and, and a dad that just said, Hey, like you could get a college scholarship. You could, you know, same thing. You can be a coming all American. I had no idea what that was in high school, but like you said, it just gives you something like, what is that? And it piques your, you know, curiosity. And then you think, wait, what does it take to do that? I love that you took that approach. Don't you think that you could say that to any athlete? If someone's like, Hey, I want to make it to college. Like, let me think what is, what a college athlete do and how would they train? Yeah, I, I look at that conversation with Coach Glenn in college as a turning point in both my career and in my life. And I try to do that for for kids that I work with or kids that message me on Instagram or whatever that are like, hey, I want to be like you. And every single time I say, no, be better. Be better than me. Be better than you think you can be. And and I've I've given some motivational speeches. I go around. There's a, a high school leadership summit that I spoke at. And, and somebody wanted to be, you know, he, it was a very normal goal, very great. You know, this kid wanted to, to be an electrician. And I said, what's the best version of, of an electrician that you could be? Like, what, what else do you love also? He's like, well, I also love soccer. I was like, well, what if you were an electrician for a soccer stadium? Or like you, you had a company that, that built the lights or, or fixes the scoreboard or like you, anything that you want to do in your life, whether it's sports or business, you could be the best at that if you want to be. If you just set your goals, if you if you reach for the stars, it, it doesn't have to be just sports, doesn't have to be just in the Olympics, whatever field you want to go into. If you want to, you could be the best. Yeah. And you're and you're just talking about the power of our thoughts and then 
setting our sights on something. And what I love when I hear you say that is tying those passions, because for me, like, I, I don't know if I want to hear like, are, were you super passionate or how would you say it looked for you? Because I know for me as an athlete, like that was it, like, and everybody's different. You have those quiet athletes who were just so talented and just driven and they just put their head down and they work. But for me, I was definitely like kind of that where my emotion on my sleeve, that passionate player who was going to try to outwork anyone else, even if they had more talent than me. What about you? So, so I like to think of myself as when I'm like grinding, when I'm, when I'm putting the work in, I, I like to do the work all by myself. Like I want to be Rocky from the movies in the grungy, not well-lit gym that no one's ever heard of before. That's where I want to put my work in with, with a hoodie on, with a hood up, just hat down. You can't even tell who I am. And then when I get to the field, I want to, I want to perform. I want to let my performance stand out more so than wearing flashy cleats or wearing a bright colored arm sleeve. I don't have like the different color belt. I want to let my performance speak for itself. And then I want, what I want to do when I get hyped is I want to build positivity on the team. I want to hype up my teammates. I want to give the most high fives that anyone's ever given. Um, I want to make everyone around me feel like they're the best versions of themselves for this game and that we're going to go out there and we're going to win. Yeah. Hearing you say that, that's what it takes to be a great teammate. And I know that's probably a big reason that you have sustained the level of play that you have and continue to stay in the league year after year. Let's talk a little bit um, before, uh, before we head into, you know, the next obstacles challenges. I want to get to that, but first let's talk a little bit about the Olympics. What was your favorite experience in the Olympics? Um, so uh, it was a very interesting Olympics. So I played for Israel. I've obviously spent the majority of my life as a United States citizen, but I obtained my citizenship in Israel for the Olympics because the law of return, you know, the way the citizenship rules work, that was just an amazing opportunity that came kind of out of nowhere and that I, I fully embraced and that I'm so happy that I did because it's been so meaningful for me to be, get my Israeli citizenship and really embrace the global Jewish community. Uh, that being said, Israel is not known for baseball and they're not known for, for really for sports in general. They've, I think they had eight total Olympic medals. Maybe it was 11 before this um, Olympics. And it was actually Israel's most successful Olympics ever, the 2020 Olympics, 2021. Um, also, security has been a big concern for Israel. And the last time they sent a team sport of any, of any, any sport was in, in Germany in the 70s. And it, you know, there was the, the people that were kidnapped and killed. So security was really tight. Our dorm was right in the middle of Olympic Village. We had to go, we went up on an elevator to the eighth floor where the elevator service discontinued. We had to go through facial recognition. There were soldiers there to protect us. It was really a wild experience that as an American citizen, I hadn't really experienced before. That part aside, it was also the COVID Olympics. So everyone's wearing masks around the village. There was no fans allowed into the stadiums. My favorite part of Olympic of the Olympic experience was interacting with the athletes, the best of the best in the world at what they do in the cafeteria and in the gym, because that's really the only place that I did get to interact with them because we couldn't go to other events and they couldn't come to ours. So I really enjoyed trying to spark up conversations with people in the cafeteria and trading pins like, oh, I haven't got a, I haven't got an Australia pin yet. Oh, I heard the Trinidad and Tobago pin is awesome. Like we got to go find one. I wonder if, if the Pakistan congregation would trade a pin with the Israel congregation because we're kind of American and they're kind of American also. Like, I wonder if, if it's going to be a problem. Um, so that was fun. And then watching, watching these athletes that are the best at what they do 
their behind the scenes preparation and work in the gym really, really, really was cool to get to watch. Oh my gosh. It brings back so many memories. Okay. A few things that you just spoke into. So first of all, going as an American to the Olympics, I remember being in Sydney, Australia and us, you know, each Olympics, the first one was that I went to was here in Atlanta, but in Sydney, we had secret service agents with us. And I remember them saying Americans and the Israelis, those are the two countries that have the most you know, protection and people with them. And we took different routes, especially in 04 after 01 had happened. And, you know, nine 11, um, we had a lot tighter security. We never took took the same route to the fields. They told us all the other teams were displaying their flags, uh, you know, all in the Olympic village. They told us we could not, I mean, I remember thinking, wait, this just, you know, we want to be so proud to, to represent America, but with you talking about Israel, it's a whole nother level this summer. I coached the under 22, um, team Israel softball at the European world championships. And that's exactly what they do. They, um, they have to check their buses every time they get on underneath. So I have these athletes, you know, who have already spent time in the military because everybody has that service. So, um, just, wow. I think a lot of people don't realize what goes into that. And, um, even the threat that they constantly face. And then to the other side, the athletes, I think I read that you were playing ping pong with different athletes from different countries. Yeah. There, there was one night where we, we had gone to the gym, we'd gone to the cafeteria and then we were playing ping pong and baseball players are super competitive on the ping pong table in general. I think a lot of sports are, um, but we ended up playing this epic doubles match with South African water polo players where like there was a congregation of maybe 50 people around the table, like cheering and watching. And, and just, that was one of the most um, interactive times we had with other athletes because again, of the COVID situation, but it was just so much fun. I had to pinch myself that this was really happening. That's so cool. So for me, it was like, it was, it was that air hockey. <laughs> and actually at one point there were like three Brazilian guys and I, and one was like, I want to face her. And then the next one's like, wait, and I beat him. And then the next one, and then I beat him. And then the next one. And by this time the actually like NBC news had come over and they're videotaping <laughs> and all my teammates are like, yeah, and I beat all three. So anyway, <laughs> it's so great. And then the last thing, the cafeteria, um, oh my goodness. That's what I would tell people. Like that was our time to mingle because everybody had to go eat. Right. And so yeah. You know, but like you said, I just felt bad with the whole COVID situation that, you know, there were so many things that you guys didn't get to experience, especially the softball players that finally had a chance to, for USA to, to play again, because softball had been, well, and baseball had and been baseball, out of the Olympics. Yeah. That's right. So, okay. Now we're going to shift gears. I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about obstacles, adversity, change, right? You have gone through so many changes. Um, what has that taught you? What's helped you to be able to play for so many different teams under, I'm sure, many different types of leadership? Yeah. So I, I, the first thing that comes to mind when you think of adversity is, is injuries that I've overcome. Um, I had a, a wrist surgery right before the draft that set me back. And I had another surgery in my last contract year with Boston that kind of set me back. And you really realize how grateful you have to be when you're healthy and how easy it is to take it for granted that your body just works the way that you've always understood it to work, especially an athlete, like our, our body, our physical, our physicality really is a lot of who we are and what we do. So really just understanding that baseball is not all of who I am. And I, I am more than that. And I can be happy and control my own happiness off the field was a big thing for me to learn and perspective to gain. The other thing of, of when you mentioned obstacles that first pops to my mind is getting sent down from the major leagues or demoted. And I, I don't know if this is the, something that a lot of people can relate to or something that not a lot of people can relate to because 
in the real world, I don't know how common it is to get laid off or to get fired. And that's kind of the metaphor that I would relate it to is you've spent your whole life gaining a skill set and working as hard as you can for this dream and this goal. And you finally make it and you're one of the best in the world. And then because of a contract situation or because of poor play or because someone else's good play has surpassed where you are or because of a need or because of something totally potentially unrelated to you, you're told you're not good enough anymore. You're not on the team anymore. Thanks for your services. Now get lost. And I've been sent down from the majors 24, 25 times at this point. I've, I've lost track. And the, the first couple times, but the first 12 or 15 times, it's really hard to learn how to deal with it. And then you, you go back to the AAA team and everybody there, I think there's a heightened sense of awareness of, of watching how you react to it because you've just come from the big leagues. You've just come from the place where everyone is trying to get to. And from their perspective, you should be grateful that you were there at all. But in your mind and in your heart, you're, you're heartbroken that I'm not there anymore. And maybe it was poor play. Maybe you deserved it. And that's hard. Or maybe it had nothing to do with you and you, you still do deserve to be there. And that's hard in its own right also. So the fact that I've done it 24, 25 times now, I've learned how to handle it. I've, I understand the business of baseball, which is very different and separate from my love for the game. Because professional baseball is a business at the end of the day. They're trying to win championships. Some of the teams are trying to win championships. Some of the other teams are trying to make a buck, right? And they're just in the league. So it's it's something that I try to help young players with now. The first couple of times they go through it, it's really, really hard on them. And I understand because I've done it a lot. You go to different teams. You go to different organizations. You go to different coaches, different hitting coaches, different catching coaches. They have different styles. At this point, I could catch the ball and hit the ball 12 different ways. I could stand on my head and hit the ball. Which, which way is going to help me with this team? Which way is going to help this team win? And which way is this team going to evaluate me the best to get me back to the big leagues? Wow, that's, that is a lot. And, and I think, would you say um, one of the biggest things with that is like flexibility and then figuring out a way to stay mentally strong, no matter what has happened to you. So in a sense, control the controllables. Is that kind of how you took that in stride? I think control, I mean, everyone can say control the controllables until it's your time to control the controllables. It's really hard for me and, and my wife, every time I've been sent down since 2014, and this was eight years ago or nine years ago at this point, we look at each other and we say that might've been the last time I ever played in the big leagues. And we have to find a way to be okay with that. My agent's been telling me since 2017, you're two good months away from playing in the big leagues and two bad months away from never being paid to play baseball ever again. So it's very much a like live in the moment. You have to be comfortable with who you are, what you've accomplished and whatever happens next. That's, I think, the biggest thing that's helped with my sanity and my happiness. Um, me and my wife, we have a great relationship and that's what's helped with us is we're comfortable with what I've done. We're comfortable with whatever it happens next. We're in a great place in who we are. I'm, I'm very proud of everything I've done so far. And if I, if I never got to play another game of baseball, I'm okay with that. And there's a, the mental skills coach from the Red Sox back in the day, he would always say, you have to find a way to care without caring. Like I care every day I go to the field how I perform that day, how the team does, how I affect my teammates, how I re relate to the fans that I create a positive environment. And I care, I care a lot, but also if I 
get pulled into the office after the game and say, thank you for your services. You're no longer needed. I have to find a way to not care so much to be devastated about that. Yeah, I think that that says a lot. And what happens is a lot of times, again, like you said, it's something that's out of your control. At the end of the day, you're you could think I just did a great job. And then all of a sudden you could still get that call. And, you know, I think for me, you know, it was just once a year we had our big child and it was like, okay, like I just got to go in and, and, you know, do my best. But it is hard in a sense if you constantly you're trying to keep a position right and 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 feel like, okay, we're pleasing them and yet still stay within. Because I know for me, the worst thing as an athlete was when I started to play to try to please. I, yeah. Then I got out of, you know, playing just with my, in my strengths and for my team. And it just, it just shifted. And so I had to really get back to that when I started to try, you know, to play for a different reason. So I, I love what you're sharing in terms of like, even people that maybe are in uncertainty with their company, right. And you can only do what you can, can, can do. And so would you say that just quickly, um, do, do you have to like separate your identity and who you are from what you do? Cause that's where I feel like the biggest issue comes, especially for high profile athletes. Like when you're to your identity, then it, everything comes crashing down when that identity is robbed from you. Yeah. I, I remember in, in 2019, I was released from the Yankees AAA. So I was in the minors and I got released. And then the next day I was in the major leagues with the reds and I broke a franchise record for best game by a catcher in the last 40 years or whatever. And then 12 days later, the guy that had been hurt that allowed me that opportunity was now healthy. You've played great. Thank you for your services. You're no longer needed. And at the end of the season, a fan tweeted out like Zach Grinky as a pitcher who doesn't hit had a higher OPS than Bryce Harper this year. Oh, and so did Ryan LaVarnway. And I was like, yeah, the sample size is much smaller. Yeah. There's some, a lot of reasons why this doesn't matter. But the fact is I played well, given the small sample size opportunity, and it didn't matter as far as my longevity and my, my need on the team. So yet you do have to find a way to disassociate and know who you are and not live and die with opportunities that are given to you or taken away from you that are out of your control. You just have to be comfortable. And, and one last thing I'll say before, I know you want to move on to the next topic, but I say this to kids all the time that are nervous about a tryout or a showcase or a big test coming up. The thing that helped me get more comfortable with those things is that you can't trick anyone. You can't trick anyone for any extended period of time. So you put in the work, you, you do everything that you do to be the most prepared you can, and then you let the chips fall where they may. You're either good enough for that specific opportunity or you're not. And if you perform lower than your, your baseline, if you perform not your best, someone that knows what they're looking at will still know you're good enough. And if you perform the best you've ever performed and you're not really that good, someone that knows what they're looking at is going to know you're not really that good. So just be who you are and be happy with it. Yeah. So good. I, I think of just playing free. And you said one thing, you said opportunities. And to me, that's what it comes down to is being ready when opportunities show themselves and saying yes to opportunities, because you're right. Like some things are kind of taken away. Some doors are closed and we don't always understand why that's happened multiple times for me. But then I kind of just take this, okay, then what is going to be open to me? Otherwise, if I dwell on what was just closed and taken, I'm going to end up not in a good place. Right. Or you're so. going to miss the next opportunity that, that showed itself and you weren't looking for it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so true. Okay. So let's shift a little bit to leadership because you talked about that. You've been under a lot of different leaders. Yeah. Um, what are, I would say the, tell me the top couple qualities that you feel like the best leaders have had from your experiences. Definitely care, caring and letting people know you care. I think it has to come from 
a place of love well, you know, in an appropriate way with the way the world is right now. But like you have, people have to know that you care about them, that you love them um, or else they're not going to want to play for you. They're not going to give their best. And, and I think that's pro number one and first and foremost with everything. Um, I'm working on my own podcast right now with, uh, with leadership and mindset. And I, I spoke with a man who had a great way of boiling it down is you have to connect and then you have to support and then you can direct, mm. but you have to spend the most time connecting, building a relationship, knowing each other, knowing what, what makes somebody tick. And then you have to support them, give them everything that they need to be successful. And then, and only then can you ask them to do something for you or, or something that maybe isn't of direct benefit to them. And I think that's such a, such a concise and powerful way to think about it. Yeah, it really breaks it down. And I find it interesting, you know, you saying this and I'd, I'd be interested. I, I really believe it is that caring. My Olympic coach, Mike Kendra, also coached me at Arizona, just one of the best in the world at softball. And, um, you know, he said that he said he coached the player first or the yep. person, excuse me, he coached the person first and then the player. And literally through his leadership, we wanted to run through a wall for him, with him, beside him. I mean, it's like he pulled that out, but at the end of the day, we knew he loved us. We knew he cared about us. And, you know, you, they, they make you better. I, I just think it's such a positive thing as parents, right? We all want to please our parents and we go back to that situation. And then when you feel that love and that support and that belief in you, it just can take you to different heights than those that, you know, feel like they're always trying to earn love and they don't feel supported. Right. And so they, we tie that in. That's, that's really, really good. What about communication for leaders? Yeah, it's, it's important. I think it's, you can't be aggressive. You can't really run towards something if you don't know where, where you're running, right? I think it's important to, to communicate a big picture vision. When I was with the, the Red Sox in 2013, we had a lot of player leadership, but I remember the first day I walked into to spring training, I met Johnny Gomes for the first time. He has a beard down to here. He's a bald, intimidating looking guy. He's had a lot of success. And I said, Hey, Johnny, how you doing? I'm Ryan. He said, I'm doing good. I'm one day closer to the World Series parade on day one. And it, th that's something that I was like, whoa, do we talk about that? I don't want to jinx it. And it's like, no, we're talking about it because that's where we're headed. And that's that's what's important to this team. You can you don't need uh, in Fenway, the, the scoreboard in left field. It's the old school. You you hang the signs and they have what place you're in in the American League East. They said they don't need to hang the signs for us. They can just go ahead and paint Boston in first place because we're going to be there all year long. And the, the big picture vision of where we were headed and what we wanted to accomplish was communicated consistently, clearly. We all could get behind it and we could all run towards that goal together. Yeah, so good. I, I think of that when I went to Arizona, the standard, they had just won the national championship for the first time two years earlier. You know, Candrea had come in and he took a program that was very very poor, right? Struggling low bottom of the pack. And he built them up and he brought that national championship when nobody else expected it. So I come in and I, we have this new standard and that's what it was. It was all about winning and man, couple of national championships in my freshman year, my sophomore year, we win. And it's like, you can't even imagine not thinking anything less, but years down the road, I remember talking to Candrea, it was a tough year for them. And he had, you know, talked to his team and he said, I want you to name, you know, the top four teams in the country in order who you think they are. And he said only two or three of his players even put Arizona in that top. And he said, how are we supposed to win? 
with that mentality. And so you have to have that belief. You obviously coaches tried to build that, but the players, and so all it takes even right as an athlete from within that's leadership in the team is to be that one that says I'm coming in. Cause you hear those athletes, like go to a program and they're like, yeah, maybe they haven't won a national championship, but I'm going to be the first one to lead them to the world series, to lead them to that national championship, you know, and, and that's what you need. Okay. With that, what is the worst quality that you've seen um, that's made it the hardest for you to excel under a certain type of leader? Oh man. So um, without calling anybody out publicly and, and saying who, who uh, any of the coaches I thought were my least favorite were, it was really just um, kind of the opposite of that lack of communication, lack of feeling like they cared about us. And it was more about them. Like they were more into doing their TV interviews. There wasn't a lot of talk to the players. My, my favorite managers walk around the field and they, they make sure they talk to each guy every day, even if it's just a, Hey, how's it going? How you feeling today? You know, if I need you, can I, can I put you in there? Even if you're not in the lineup, can I sub with you versus the managers I haven't played for? You don't see them. They show up to the field a little bit later. The lineup isn't posted. So you can't prepare for your day for what do I need to do to make my day successful? Am I preparing for the game? Am I to start? Am I preparing to come in and pinch hit? Um, should I get a good lift in because I, I'm not playing today and I'll probably be back in there tomorrow. There's a lot of things that even as a baseball player, you play 160 games in 180 days, you prepare differently on days that you're playing and days that you're not. So, so those, those um, communication and lack of care, it's really the, the best versus or the worst quality. Yeah, such a good point. And for me, I even thought, I remember when I struggled, it was those that it was all about the outcome. Like, um, and so then I, again, I shifted my mind, whereas my coach that I loved that it was, he's like, Hey, if you hit a hard ground ball and they get you out, you better be happy. Cause you hit it hard the next time it's going through. So he was built, he was all about building. Whereas the other one, if you hit a hard shot line drive, it was like, Nope, you didn't do good enough. <laughs> and so then you, you, it's a different mental takeaway, right? It puts you in a different position. I think of, I think of trust and relationships as like a bank account and you have to make deposits into the trust account in case you, in case you need to, or whenever you need to make a withdrawal. Like if you need to get on somebody because they're not doing things the right way, or they didn't hustle, or maybe their mind isn't in the game, you have to have enough deposits, enough trust built up in the bank to be able to make that withdrawal, or they don't want to hear it from you, or they're going to lose their stuff. You got to make deposits constantly. And I think it's, a three or, a, or even a seven to one ratio that you need to have more positive to negative. I agree. And I think like you're saying, when people know you care, you can also say a lot more to them and it will be, it will be more received and, and taken because they know at the root of it is not again, just this, you putting them down and you demeaning them, but instead it's like, they care about me. They want me to be better. And yeah. that's the mindset. Okay. So dedication and drive the D in the gold standard. Um, what drives you? What is, what, what pushes you to continue to, to play year after year? What's that motivating factor for you? I don't know. I, I'm in year 15. It's the last couple of days of the season. So I'm starting to, I'm starting to run low on desire right now, but in general, it's just love of the game. And I love being out there. I've never wanted to do anything else. I feel like a superhero when I put on my uniform and I go out on the field and the lights are so bright and, and I can wave to a fan and make their day or play catch with a kid that I've never met before and, and make their day. And I can, I can go to a, a hospital with my uniform on and, and meet people that are in one of the toughest times of their life. And they're, they can cry on my shoulders and they can, and they can talk about what they're going through. And as I walk out of the room, 
the nurses are in tears because they say they just got a cancer diagnosis. Uh, I'm tearing up right now. I've been thinking about it and they haven't been able to talk about it yet. And it, just the fact that you have your uniform on was so meaningful because you're not the nurse or you're not the doctor and you have no knowledge of, of the cancer, but they were able to express themselves through you. Or, or I sent out a picture and, and somebody from 12 years ago when I was with Boston, it's like, Hey, you waved at me in the stands and you made my whole childhood. So I feel like uh, it's just, an opportunity that I can't believe that I get to have. I look at somebody once a day and I'm like, I can't believe they pay us to play baseball. I would do this for the rest of my life for free. Um, I just, I just love it. That's it right there. There's things that I've said, like I would do this for free and other things you're like, man, I, I do it because there's a paycheck, but I wouldn't do it for free. And when you can do what you love and, and listening to you, it really is kind of tied to your passion and also the purpose behind it, because it's bigger than you. You, you mentioned that I was just thinking when you said you put, you know, you feel like a superhero and those kids, they look at you like you are, and they look at you as someone that they want to be one day. So what I think I appreciate listening to you and all the, that you've shared today, um, is just the fact that you are stewarding it well, like there's a lot out there that don't care, right? They they're bad examples. They don't use that um, position as a role model in a healthy, positive way. And, you know, that was always really important for me for female athletes, right. And just being somebody who they can look up to and parents would say, I want my kid to emulate that person right there. And then just listening to you today, you have all those values. Um, how can people find you? Oh man, find me on Instagram at rlavarnway. Find me on Twitter at Ryan Lavarnway. Um, I have a website that's launching soon, RyanLavarnway.com, and I am getting ready to launch uh, my own podcast that about mindset, but how you can get the most out of yourself. Very similar to what you're doing here with this, and uh, that will be called Finding the Way. So look for that soon on all the podcast platforms. Well, I know that it is going to impact and encourage and inspire many, many people because just what you've talked about today, I know that um, I can relate to so much of it. And then again, I'm always have takeaways that I just, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to apply this to my life. So thank you, Ryan, so much for everything that you've shared today and um, good luck as you finish out your season the next couple of days. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a little downtime and then getting back to the grind. And that is another episode of the Gold Standard Podcast for sponsored by Major Media League. If you like what Ryan has shared today, check him out on all of his platforms and make sure to tune in next time to the Gold Standard Podcast. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Gold Standard Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah20USA or use hashtag gold standard podcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality.